Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of PT POV. We share PT lifestyle perspectives so that young PTs and students can better navigate their professional lives. Today, unfortunately, we are missing Carly, who is having the time of her life golfing in Florida. Rude. But the good news is that today we have an amazing guest with us, Dr. Kimberly Baron Shepler. Dr. Baron Shepler currently serves as a faculty member for Creighton's Omaha campus, teaching various subjects you'll hear more about in the interview. Her full bio is attached in the show notes. It was so fun to hear her perspectives on work-life balance with a family, interprofessional education, and her honest opinions on pursuing a terminal degree. We hope you enjoy. Hi, Kim. Thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. It's an honor to be here. Thank you so much, ladies, for having me. Of course. We're super excited to have this conversation today. So we wanted to start out and just hear a little bit about your professional journey, what got you where you went, how you transitioned between jobs, just stuff like that. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about this um, as you guys were asking me to do this podcast, and I was fortunate I got to spend about 16 hours in my car last weekend. And so I had some good time to reflect and thinking about my career. And it really is a series of uh, blind luck, I would say, (laughs) um, and how I got to where I'm at. And um, I just was really fortunate that things were um, played out in my favor and that I got very, very lucky. And so I think to really start, you actually have to go back to when I was 12. And I was 12 years old. And that was the first time I had stepped foot on Creighton campus. And I got to go swimming. There used to be a pool on Creighton oh, campus. Where? Um, in the Kiwit, in the basement of the Kiwit. Oh, crazy. Yep. And so I was swimming there and I got to go into St. John's Church. And I just decided at 12 years old, I was going to go to Creighton University when I was time for me to go to college. And I never wavered at that. I remember being in high school and everybody's picking all these colleges and all my friends are going together. And the guidance counselor pulls me into his office. He's like, you've only applied to Creighton. Are you going to apply elsewhere? And I'm like, nope, I'm good. He's like, well, you need to apply to another school case, case Creighton doesn't get you. <laughs> and I looked at him and I'm like, well, I'm one of the top 4.0 students in the class. I really think it's unlikely that Creighton's not going to take me. But if you say so, I, I'll apply to UNO. <laughs> oh, that's um, funny. <laughs> yeah. Now, I was a little bit arrogant as a senior in high school. I will give you that. <laughs> um, so um, obviously got into Creighton for undergrad. Um, like many, many students at Creighton was bound and determined to go to med school, um, working my way through my bios, my chemistries. Um, I was smart enough that I knew that if I didn't get into med school, I didn't want a bachelor's degree in bio and chemistry. So my, my major was actually education um, because I knew I liked teaching as well. So I was, um, took all those sciences as my electives, um, which is kind of a weird education major. And then my junior year, I uh, was like, I don't want to go to med school. That sounds awful. It's another four years of college. Then it's a couple years of residency. It's a couple years of fellowship. I'm like, I'm going to be like 32 before I get a real job. Seriously. Yeah. Um, I took my MCAT. It was the most awful exam I've ever taken in my life. And I'm like, I don't want to do this. 
And so I had a panic and I remember having like a breakdown in my parents' bathroom and my mom's like, I don't know what to do with you. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like every good career development story has a breakdown in the bathroom somewhere along the way. (laughs) No, definitely. I remember my mom, she was panicked too. Um, And so I, you know, came back to Creighton and I was like, okay, what else could I do with all these science courses? I like healthcare, like where else would be a fit? And so I applied to PT school, got in. Um, (laughs) So there was my first like kind of accident that um, I think was a a good accident for me. Um, (laughs) Got in, um, you know, did PT, Creighton PT or um, grad school. Um, applied for residency um, because I knew that if I wanted to be a really good orthopedic physical therapist, that um, I wanted that residency experience and that one year of intensive. So I applied for residency, got in. Um, So again, another really fortunate accident, I would say. Um, Did residency. Then at that point in time, uh, my fiance lived in Denver and that was always the plan is for me to move to Denver to be with him. Denver is a very big orthopedic world, um, very progressive in the orthopedic world and and still is to this day. Um, So I got to practice orthopedics in Denver for, oh, let me think, let's see, so that would have been seven, eight years, nine years or so. Then um, my career in Denver was primarily outpatient ortho. I also managed an outpatient private practice clinic um, and was able to help grow that practice um, and primarily saw the last couple years of my practice. I mainly saw upper extremity and that was again a series of accidents. We had had an OT who was really good CHT OT. She quit um, and then we had hired a series of OT CHTs that just weren't a good fit for our clinic and our model Um, and we really struggled in an outpatient orthopedic world to keep them busy you know wrist and hand is really busy in the winter when everybody's falling and breaking (laughs) in Denver (laughs) yep exactly on the ice maybe not in Um, Arizona yeah (laughs) definitely geographical I'll give you that Um, but everybody's coming in for collies fractures after collies fractures Um, and so um but then, you know, in those less peak seasons, we couldn't keep a CHT OT busy. And so it was a good fit for me as a manager to do those, see those clients. And then I was able to see any additional clients that I'd seen in the past or that needed to see me for some reason or, or whatnot. So I had a good caseload. I was about 25, 30 hours a week of patient care. Um, and it was really, it was fun. It was like I said, all patients I had either seen before and had relationships with or patients with upper extremity conditions. So I really enjoyed what I did. And then the challenge though, I will just be honest and blunt of being a female that works outpatient ortho. I really think to work ortho, you need to be able to work early and you need to be able to work late because a lot mm-hmm. of your patients work eight to five. And so you have to be at the clinic at, be willing to be at the clinic at six and be there till eight o'clock at night. And so I did, I mean, I did that for whatever, eight years of my life. Um, but then I had my kid and I was like, wow, my son will go to daycare at like 6am and I'll pick him up at 9pm. Like, I don't think I'm okay with that. Yeah. That's really tough. Yeah. I, I just, I didn't, you know, and I even had a lady that was a former patient that was willing to take him those hours. Um, and she was a former nurse, a military nurse. She would have been, a, and she was, she helped me with Grayson when he was first born. Um, 
but I just, uh, you know, and I think for me too, again, uh, you know, in transparency, it took a long time for Dustin and I to have children. And so after trying for five years and finally getting a baby, I wasn't willing to pet a baby in daycare for, you know, 12, 13 hour days. Yeah. Yeah. So, so then it was a hard reality of like, that's all I've ever known is orthopedic outpatient. Like, what else do I do? Um, you know, and a lot of clinics I found didn't really want the part-time piece. Um, you know, I have a lot of friends who went the home health route when they had kids. Um, I had a really good friend in Denver. She went and worked for kind of an inpatient rehab um, that was all orthopedic. It was all, you know, seeing total hips, total knees, total shoulders right out of the hospital. Um, so I considered all of those options, but I'm like, I just think... I need something different. And, and so um, I took some time after Grayson was born and during my maternity leave, I applied for jobs in higher ed. Um, and again, series of unfortunate events or, um, you know, ra luck, randomness. Um, I got hired as the founding director of Clin Ed for Trine University's developing PT program um, in Fort Wayne, Indiana. So I uh, <laughs> moved my six month old son and my husband and we moved to Fort Wayne, Indiana. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> um, oh, crazy. oh my gosh. You know, nobody in my, well, I can't say nobody in my family, but it was a big move for us. That was, that was a tough, um, tough time for sure. And that I had no idea what to expect. Um, but I did know one thing. I knew one thing moving out there because I had asked. So um, for those on the call who know Karen Pascal, they know that she was the founding DCE for Creighton's physical therapy program many, many years ago. Um, and Creighton and or Karen and I had developed a friendship over the years of my um, professional career. And I had called Karen before I took the job at Trine. And I said, Karen, if I take this job at Trine University, there's a lot of things I'm not going to know, but you do. Will you help me with this process and make sure that I do this and I do this right? Um, and she's like, yeah, she's like, we'll help you. Lisa Black and I will help you. And oh. so <laughs> I moved out there knowing that I didn't have all the answers, knowing that I was as green and new as they came. Um, you know, I had taught, um, in a PTA program. I had taught in a PTA program in Omaha. I taught online in a PTA program. I had helped with some labs at the University of Colorado Health Science Center. So I'd still kept my foot in academia during my career in the clinic. Um, but like I said, it was a big switch for sure. Um, and so we moved to Fort Wayne, Indiana. Um, got that program up and running, got them through accreditation with accolades. Um, it was a very fun process. I learned a ton in that. Um, but at the end of the day, I also knew that I wanted, going back to my children, I wanted more for them and I wanted them to be very integrated into their family and not just our family unit of my husband and our two children, but the larger family unit as a whole. Mm -hmm. And so I... So I brought my husband, um, Creighton, had a position opening and I applied and had the opportunity to come back home. And I took that um, position and we moved back to Omaha in, what was that? January of 2017, December of 2016. Okay. So was Jackson born in Fort Wayne then? He, he was. Okay. Yep. Um, I, I, I always. That. I always joke that Jackson's actually my third born. So my Grayson <laughs> is my first born. He was born in Denver. 
Um, then we moved to Fort Wayne, Indiana, and then I developed what is called the CARE curriculum for a TRIANCE program, which is an integrated clin ed model where students spend half days in the clinic. Um, and it's a very complex model, but it's one I'm very, very proud of. And it took me a lot of work to get that up. But it was, you know, even going back there, that's where I was a couple weeks ago. And I um, was able to go and meet a bunch of those colleagues for dinner and drinks. And it's amazing the community that I created by creating this integrated clinical mod module within the curriculum. And so I joke that that was my second born child. <laughs> and then after I got that up and running, then I had Jackson, who was my third born. So I, in some, of my, in some ways, I feel like I have three kids, even though I only birds two. Um, so yeah, um, we also knew, so for those who don't know me on the call, Jackson um, has trisomy 21, and we knew that early. Um, we knew that at 16 weeks gestation. And so we also knew that he would require a lot of help and a lot of family help. And so yeah. again, a huge reason to move back home is so we had that family support for him um, mm -hmm. and for even Grayson too. Like it's been huge for both of them. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like a series of fortunate events, <laughs> not as much unfortunate, but. Well, and that's what I say. And I, I still think the unfortunate piece is important because I think at the moment you think they're unfortunate, you know, you have these moments of like, what am I doing? Am I crazy? Am I nuts? <laughs> um, where am I going to go in my life? Um, but hindsight, it all works out and it all works out for a reason. And so that's what I share with you as you're a young professional and going forward is just to have belief and faith and that whatever's happening to you is happening for you for a reason. And you won't understand it now, but one day you will, and it'll make sense. Mm -hmm. That's great. What other, so you mentioned having um, Karen and Lisa as really great mentors for your transition from clinical care to academia full-time, I should say, but mm -hmm. what other resources did you utilize or what other strategies to make that transition? Because it does sound like a pretty large step, moving states, moving jobs into something full-time that you were dabbling in part-time, but now was your second child. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, you know, I think you know, I think it goes back to community too, and just finding your resources and your outlets. And I think it's important to have that network with our, wherever you work and to have those colleagues where you work that you can really count on and, you know, go to their office and say, oh, I'm really upset. Can I close your door for a minute? But then it's also important to have those outlets outside of your workplace. Um, but yet people who understand academia, because I will warn you, academia is a weird world. And unless you live in it, nobody understands it. You know, like to talk to my my brother, I have a brother who's an engineer and I have a brother who's an insurance agent. Like they have no idea. Even my brother who's an insurance agent used to be a middle school teacher and he still has no idea. If you ask them what I did with my life, they'd tell you like I sit in meetings all day and probably eat bonbons or something like they just don't get it. <laughs> uh, you know, they don't get scholarship. They don't get research. They don't understand why you have to travel to conferences to present. Um, my dad calls it, what does he call it? He's, um, oh goodness, it's going to come to me. He calls me, he, I think he says like, oh, 
you know, he always say, oh, Kim's off canoodling or something weird. Like, <laughs> like he just, they don't get it. And it's like, well, no, that's what you have to do for your career is to go to these conferences and to write these papers. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you get a paper published or you get a grant, they're like, oh, so like that was hard. And it's like, yes, <laughs> that was extensively challenging. Um, don't you love that? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's finding those, uh, those partners and those colleagues in academia that maybe aren't in your institution, but yet understand your world that you can, you know, call on a Friday at five o'clock when you've had a rough week. Um, Yeah. So it's, um, you know, and then I even have Grayson's godmother. She is a psychology professor at a university here in Nebraska. And she's been a huge resource just because she's the one that when I do get a grant, she's the first person I call. You know, I don't call my parents because it, like I said, it means nothing to them. Um, I call her because she gets excited for me because she knows what it is. Oh, I thought of the term. My dad calls it gallivanting. <laughs> I go out and gallivant. Gallivanting. Yes. That's great. Yes. That. <laughs> I spend my career gallivanting around the country, according to my father. Obviously. Yes. Kara, do you have a question? Yeah, I had thought about this when you're kind of talking about your path, and I know you'd gone the residency route as well, and I'm sure the residency has kind of evolved over the years too, and I know when we did residency, teaching was a big part of that. When you went through residency, was it similar, or was that not really a big core part of that at that time? No, it was a huge part. In fact, so when I graduated, just to give you reference, I think there were like 18 residency programs for orthopedics. That's now wild. there's, yeah, yeah. Now, <laughs> now there's like, you know, 400 total residency programs, probably eight fourth of them are ortho, just guessing. Um, and so I had, I mean, and my, basically most of them were still the Kaiser system out in California. So my choices were to go to Kaiser in California, which I had no desire to, or to stay in Omaha and Omaha's program was very heavy teaching. Um, at the time it was only one orthopedic resident. And so you had to do it all. Um, (laughs) Nervous laughter for me, (laughs) Maggie, who had to do it with two other colleagues. You can probably get some, um, but at the same time, there were two really phenomenal mentors. You know, we had JB Barr and Judy Gale, and I spent a lot of time with them. I mean, I spent two days a week, pretty much like their shadows, um, and, and that was really formative for me too. And I mean, Judy and I still laugh about this day is the day she made me cry oh. <laughs> because she gave me some pretty tough feedback, um, but feedback I needed to hear, you know, that, that day I was in tears, this day I probably wanted to go back to my mom's bathroom and cry in it, but <laughs> that's, th- 200, that's 200 miles away. So it wasn't an option. <laughs> I think you told us that story early in residency, just in case you made us cry, just to kind yes. of prime us and say, just so you know, if this happens, <laughs> you will be better for it. I promise. <laughs> so after you, I know that your job description and your teaching, um, workload and research workload has changed and evolved since you've started at Creighton. What do you feel like, I mean, first I'd love to hear more and walk us through how all of those transitions happened, but what do you think was the most valuable experience you've had out of all of that so far? You know, I came to Creighton to teach and coordinate integrated labs. um, And that was really good. And then 
Um, I, again, unfortunately, you know, they asked me to be the PT rep on the Cyper exec team, which was fine. And I was doing that. And then again, unfortunate events, you know, people quit the exec team. And so then I moved into more of a leadership role in Cyper and Cyper. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Will you explain Cyper? Yep. So Cyper is Creighton's Center for Interprofessional Education Research and Practice. I said that in the wrong order. It's Inter Center for <laughs> Interprofessional Education uh, practice, practice, Education, and Research. And right? Research. Yeah. There we go. There we go. <laughs> Nailed it. Uh, yeah. Uh, thanks for the help. Um, <laughs> and so. Um, um, fortunate again, Fort Wayne had a consortium of all these different schools. I think there's eight at, um, universities and we all came together for IP events. And so we formed a consortium. We created IP curriculum. We met monthly. Um, and again, so when this consortium was forming, I went to my boss and I said, do you want to do this? And he's like, no. He's like, do you want to do it? I'm like, sure, I guess. Like, I don't know much about IPE, but it was, you know, a great thing. It opened doors for me that really helped form who I am and, and what an area of healthcare that I'm passionate about is teaching other healthcare practitioners how to um, essentially work collaboratively, which I think most people think that's intuitive, but it's not. And it's definitely a skill that has to be taught and learned and practiced. Um, so anyhow, I came to Creighton, you know, slated to teach integrated labs, got pulled into Cyper, then Cyper evolved into more and more and more. And then eventually I was coordinating the IP passport, which is the curriculum for all health science learners with my colleague, Katie Packard. Um, and so I was doing that and trying to teach integrated lab and it was just a lot. And, um, and then I had two classes. I had a two for, um, courses to teach and it just was getting too much. And so Dr. Peck and I talked about where would be a good fit. And so they're like, okay, we're going to pull you out of lab and you're just going to teach these classes and do Cyper. Well, then about that time, Dr. Barr was quitting and so in retiring. And so they were like, well, we also need you to teach orthopedics. We also <laughs> need you to do the residency program. So I um, picked up teaching the upper extremity orthopedics and then coordinating the orthopedic residency program. The residency program was a good fit for me. I have, had served on the accreditation committee for about three years by that time. So I was fairly familiar with uh, residency accreditation and what that needed to look like. Mm -hmm. That's helpful. Yes, yes. Um, so yeah, so that morphed and now um, that's kind of my teaching load is I run that interprofessional curriculum for all the health science learners at Creighton. So. Um, that's really rewarding and that I know that I get to kind of touch every health science learner that has a Creighton degree. I get to teach the upper extremity orthopedics, um, which is probably an area that I'm passionate about just because I really want physical therapists to keep that practice area and not give it to other colleagues and um, understand that they have value in providing those interventions and those assessments. And then I um, get to run the orthopedic residency program. And then my last role is I also get to serve on the clin ed team at Creighton. And that I was hired to do it initially as well. And, you know, having been the director of clin ed for Trine, I was, that's a really easy fit for me. You know, at Trine, I had to coordinate 32 students a cohort on clinicals all the time. So, you know, coming to Creighton and only coordinating 14 to 15 is pretty easy. So, yeah. um, 
I'm very passionate about clin ed. Um, that there's just so much learning that happens in the clin ed advi- uh, clinical environment that um, I will be in clin ed till forever. <laughs> For forever. I like it. Yes. I tell Dr. I tell Lisa Black and Dr. Jessica Niski that you'd have to like, yeah, I don't know how you'd get me out of clin ed because it's not going to happen. <laughs> that is the last thing I will give up at Crayon. <laughs> And then remind me, do you have a terminal degree? I do not. So I have my clinical doctorate, um, the DPT, and then I have my OCS, and that is it. You know, I thought about the terminal doctorate, and I still go back and forth. Um, and I've talked to lots of different people, and I've really toyed with what that would look like. And I'm not quite sure yet where that's going to go. Yeah, that was my big question for Michelle, too, because I know she doesn't have one either. And I was asking kind of about, like, if there was any pressure by uh, the university for you to get one or if it's kind of more at this point, like, you're doing so much as it is. Would it be more of, like, a personal gain than anything else? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So Korean's a little bit odd in that a lot of other universities support their faculty to go back and get those terminal degrees, the doctorates or the D-size, or um, there's also an HDS, I think. And those are all considered the terminal doctorates. Creighton does not do that currently for its faculty. And so we're kind of an abnormality in that. And so I'm pretty resistant when Creighton says you need to go do that. And that I say, well, you're not going to support that. So I yeah. think that's a little bit oxymoron of them to request that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not opposed to doing it. But at the same time, I've talked enough about my family to know that you guys have picked up. It's pretty important to me. And so I'm not going to do it and sacrifice my time with my kids. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm finally wising up at the age of 40 that my big accomplishment I want to leave this world with is that I raised two really good humans. I love that. That's priority number one. Priority number two is to educate as many physical therapists that I can do to make them the best people that, and best practitioners that I can. Priority number three is to educate the most health science students that I possibly can to teach them how to be collaborative practitioners to improve healthcare outcomes. So those are my three big ambitions in life. And mm-hmm. I, I don't see that priority order changing much. That's a, yeah. That's a great answer. Do you feel like there, there is still, I know things have changed a lot in the evolution of the, with the terminal degree and hiring for faculty positions. And do you think that there is still room for practitioners to get into the full-time faculty world without a terminal degree? Or do you feel like things have changed so much over the years that if you want a full-time faculty position, like you kind of need that terminal degree at this point? I think, again, it's going to depend on where you go. You know, if I would have stayed at Trine University, they would have paid for me to get a terminal degree Mm -hmm. and it would have been fine. Um, So I think it depends on where you want to be and again, what's what you're willing to give up and sacrifice, you know, and, you know, you can get a terminal degree from an online program that, you know, I'll be blunt in that a lot of people will look at that degree on paper and say it's not even worth the acronym behind it. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to do it just to do it, then yeah, go that way, just so you have those initials behind your name. But if you want to do it, like for me, I've decided if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it on my terms and I'm going to do it for value to me. So like things that I think about is like, 
things that I don't understand very well in academia is some of the research stuff and some of the stats and some of, you know, like I have to do a scoping review for um, an IPE thing. And I'm like, how is that different than a lit review? Like, what, what's the difference? I don't know. I'm like, I'm going to have to Google that literally this afternoon. Um, <laughs> so I, I wonder for myself, like, if I did, a, you know, a PhD or an EDD, like, would that help me with that information? And so those are the questions I ask people who have those degrees. You know, I have a colleague who has an EDD and I'm like, did the EDD make you a better teacher? And she's like, absolutely not. Like it taught me nothing about teaching or at least the program that she went to, you know? And so I think, I think it's important to get a terminal degree if you know why you are doing it and you pick a program that matches your personal reasons why, you know, and it kind of goes back to have, having those values, those missions, whatever your motivation is to getting it, making sure that you pick a program that matches that Um, And maybe you're doing it just to check the box. And so you do do an online program because you can do it all online. You can do it in the evenings and it doesn't disrupt your family life. You know, that's a good reason to check that box. Um, But yeah, you know, figuring out what's important to you. And so I've figured out that what's important for me is what I'd like to get out of a PhD or an EDD program is really better understanding of research, research methods, you know, different things. And so that's the type of program that I'm looking for, not one that puts some more initials behind my name. Yeah. What advice would you provide other physical therapists who might be struggling to find their PT passion? And this is not necessarily specific to like the academic route or the clinical route, but kind of in general, um, if someone were to come to you and say like, I'm really having a hard time finding what I should do with my career, where I should go, what advice would you provide them? Asking for a friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. May or may Actually, not be related to me, but just kidding. <laughs> asking probably for about a million friends, right? Cause that's how many listeners were seeing, right? Obviously. Yeah, at minimum. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's, I think it's just to be afraid to go out on a limb and try something new. Like, you know, I look back and some of my closest PT friends, you know, like I said, I already mentioned the one who had twins, um, didn't want to go back to outpatient ortho and and worked at a rehab hospital and saw ortho patients there. And she loved it. It was, you know, nine to four. She saw the patients in the morning and got to see the same patients in the afternoon, developed really good relationships with all those people, saw them for two or three weeks, and then they went home great working relationships with the physicians, you know, what a great setup. Um, But had she not taken that leap of saying, yep, I'm going to leave outpatient ortho, she would have never got there. Um, Another good colleague of mine, you know, she's an OT, but she was a CHT by far the best one I've ever worked with, had three kids and is like, I can't do outpatient ortho. So she did home health because it meant that when her daughter had a 10 a.m. Abe Lincoln, 15 minute you know, presentation at school, she could go versus in an outpatient clinic. She couldn't because that was important to her. Yeah. And then my other colleague that I can think of off the top of my head, she outpatient ortho with me as well. And then her kids came along and same thing. She left to go do pediatrics. And I'm like, was that a big shift? I mean, we had, her and I had done ortho together for, you know, five years. And she's like, yeah, I have to go reread Campbell. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> it's like, I don't know what would happen if a child walked into my clinic right now. <laughs> exactly. But 
you know, that's to sit through as a physical therapist, you have that skill set. That is why for me, it's so important to keep graduate generalists. I don't want to graduate 30 people that want to be OCSs. I don't want to graduate 30 people that want to be pelvic floor specialists. I want to graduate, you know, 80 generalists, knowing that you have the skills, abilities, and knowledge to change on a web. You just have to be willing to take that leap of faith um, and do that. And you'll be surprised where it takes you. I think that's an interesting point because there is, there is a lot of push for specialty with the doctorate degree now and with trying to gain more respect within the healthcare field. But to your point, I mean, it, it's a lot more flexible for life if you're willing to kind of switch around and try something new. Yeah. And, and yeah, you're going to have to work your butt off when you do that. I will give you that, you know, (laughs) Dustin didn't work that first, I don't know what, nine months we lived in Fort Wayne and basically just took care of Grayson. Cause again, I was off canoodling or no, what did I tell you? My dad says, gallivanting. Um, yes, I was off gallivanting (laughs) (laughs) to establish myself as a, you know, as an academic, And so he had to be home and he had to, you know, I worked late. I'd go in at 5 a.m. and wouldn't come home till seven at night. Those were my hours, but I could because my husband was home and was taking care of our child. And, and that's what I needed to do to get to launch my career. So, um, yeah, if you're willing to do the work, you'll be successful. You really will. Mm -hmm. And having a supportive husband is (laughs) clutch. (laughs) (laughs) That is critical. That is critical. I will give you that. The other disclaimer that I think is important too. So those who don't know me know that my husband's from Eastern California. He grew up in the mountains, loved skiing, was a competitive ski racer. So living in Omaha, Nebraska is a little bit of a letdown for him um, (laughs) due to the fact that we are flatter than flat. Um, (laughs) It's true. (laughs) And so, but before we got married, I warned him that I bled Creighton Blue And that if Creighton ever gave me the opportunity to come back to Omaha, I would come back to Omaha with or without him. So he just needed to be prepared that if that happened, that I would be back here and we would either be divorced or be married and live in separate geographical regions or yeah, who knows. So Um, IP was your second child, but Creighton was your first marriage. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Kara, do you have any other burning questions? Yeah, because I know you've been involved in some education type research in the past. Are you working on anything right now? Because I know you usually collaborate with a lot of other professors at Creighton for things. So I was wondering what was what was on the agenda right now? Yeah, so right now I um, work am working, uh, I'm kind of shifting gears a little bit and going back into the IP world a little bit heavier. Um, I'm currently secretary of NIPEC, which is the IPE organization under ACAP. Um, ACAP is like the academics um, in physical therapy education. Okay. Um, I w- will be running for um, chair or president, I, don't know, I think it's called, um, in this next upcoming term. And so um, I'm working with that group and we're looking at a couple different things. We're looking at, like I said, I have to do that scoping literature review of mm-hmm. best practices in IPE. Um, we're also looking at graduate and alumni outcomes related to IPE because 
the reality is, is we've been running IP curriculum, some programs a year, some programs six to eight years, but we still don't know the so what. So we teach this to our students, we preach this to the students, but what does it actually look like when they graduate and how are they implementing what we teach them regarding interprofessional collaborative practice? Um, and so I think that's a really important piece that we're missing in this IP education, the, the so what. And so we uh, launched a graduate survey last year that I think we had about eight programs. So I need to run down on that. Um, and then we need a lot, we, we will follow, do a follow-up survey this year for alumni data. And what's nice about this is these are all PT programs, but they're PT programs from around the nation. Um, so both coast, east and west, and um, their APE curriculums look very, very different. Mm -hmm. And so it'll be interesting to see what that looks like and what the, what the feedback we get from those um, graduates and alumni. Mm -hmm. I have a lot, I have a lot of so what's in my own life. So. <laughs> <laughs> it was tough going from such a collaborative environment during residency where the communication between the PTs, the general med providers, yeah. the pharmacists, the nurse care coordinators was just flawless. And then where moving states to where that hasn't been emphasized as much as like, wait, you don't want to talk to me about this or you don't want to read my email about this patient or... Yes. Um, it's yeah. very, very strange. So I feel a little bit spoiled, but I'm glad that you guys are hopefully can publish something to show the importance of that. Cause I think it will help everyone. Well, and then for you, like our questions for you then is, you know, are you now going to be asking questions when you look for jobs about that? You know? Oh, I did. Yeah, I did. And I got an answer that I thought, I mean, I would say the communication is improving, but I think that they had a standard that they thought was really great, but my standard was much higher than that, just being spoiled of where I was before. So I think the metric for it of measuring what is successful within the interprofessional world is very challenging. But to that credit, then, I mean, I'm, I look at you, Maggie, and I'm so proud of you because you can be that agent of change to help that communication because you've seen better and you've experienced better. And so... I actually, since I started working at, at this job now, we have, per my request, started um, monthly meetings with the pain management spine doctors and the physical therapists to communicate about patients. And I would say it's successful like 50% of the time, but um, moving up. <laughs> So to your yeah. point, this is all, yes. this is all because of you. <laughs> yes. Yes. And that makes me so proud. Like, I mean, yeah, that's amazing. And though that's the stuff I want to ca capture on my alumni data, you know, is here's this alumni that is making changes and positive changes. Like, I feel like we could do a case study on that. When do you want to write it, Maggie? Let's do it. <laughs> sure. I would be what kind, of, what kind of patient outcomes are we collecting because of this? Because I'm ready to, I'll, I'll help you with that. That's exciting. I would love this. Let's talk later. <laughs> yes. Yes. I think we have a research project right there and it will be awesome. <laughs> That's great. Any last minute, like as we wrap up the last minute feedback, comments for the listeners, um, words of wisdom. I know you've offered a lot of words of wisdom already, but. Yeah, like I said, just don't be afraid to take that leap, you know, and I know that's easy to say, um, but as a person who's done it and done it many, many times, 
you know, I, like I said I, earlier in the cast, I was back in Fort Wayne last week and, you know, everybody knew that I moved back to Omaha to be with family. They're like, oh, aren't you so much happier that you're, you know, you're back in Omaha, you're at Creighton University, you know, you love Creighton, it's a top ranked program. Doesn't that just have to be the best thing ever? And I'm like, yeah, but you know, we were in Fort Wayne for a reason. There were a lot of good things that came out of, of my time in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Um, I have some good friends, good reasons to go back. I created this huge community that I still get to be a part of. Um, and so, yeah, know that it may not be the most direct route to where you're wanting to get in life, but every job you take or everything you do has value and, and trying to look for the value in that. And you may not understand it at the time, but one day you will, and it'll be very aha for you and I just encourage you to that you know I love that that's like big mic drop moment good way to end (laughs) I promise it's coming like I I don't think I honestly think this I think people are so afraid to make the wrong decision that they don't make any decision and I think that's the worst thing you can do even if you have a terrible job there are still going to be lessons that you can learn from that and takeaways that will form you as a person as a clinician as an academic or wherever you go and so don't be afraid to take those leaps of faith and and learn from that and grow i like it well thank you so much uh before we wrap up though we would like to end with a game a game of a game of would you rather So we have three of them. I'll go first and then I'll let Kara ask her next one. But the first one is, would you rather have an extra toe or an extra finger? Extra finger for sure. As a physical therapist, you always want more things to grab. (laughs) I was going to say as a hand therapist too. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Undoubtedly. That would be easy. Well, especially for my job. (laughs) Yeah, Kara. Do you think you would freak people out with an extra finger though? I need, no, because they wouldn't know. It'd just be like, I would just switch. I would have two index fingers on one hand. So that way one wouldn't get so sore at the end of the week. So halfway through the week, I would just switch to my other index finger. The life of a pelvic floor PT. Life is rough. That's crazy. I was going to say, I think as a manual physical therapist, I'd want two thumbs because it's the thumbs that hurt at the end of the day. Yes. I got her. That are like, (laughs) when you have to make splints for your own hands, that's when you know that you probably need to think of a new career choice. (laughs) What's yours, Kara? Mine is, would you rather go a month without bathing or an entire year without shaving? Oh, um, a year without shaving. Well, hold on. Let me, let me clarify. Shaving my armpits or shaving my legs? Both. Oh, I think I would go a month without bathing because you can like use like baby wipes or something, or is that count on bathing? I would say that wouldn't count, but at the same time, I'm like, and I don't know if this is just a pelvic health thing, but I'm just like, oh, like if even a patient sometimes goes like a few days without bathing. It's just like, oh, no. you're, you're poor, you're poor bits. Like, it's not okay. <laughs> Yeah, that is so gross. Yeah. The fact that I can't shave my pits, I think I'd have to go with bathing too and just, yeah, washcloth and, you know. (laughs) I'm just thinking of Kara being so thankful for masks in those situations. Oh my God, I know. (laughs) I know. Interesting moment. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) All right, last one. 
Would you rather be always underdressed or always overdressed? Overdressed, 100%. Probably always overdressed. I mm-hmm. think it's important to make that first good impression. First impressions and the way you're portrayed when a patient first sees you is, is huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've struggled with that since masks have have become a reality in the last two years. It's kind of like the the whole effort of what happens underneath the mask is not really not really there for me anymore. Yeah, no. <laughs> so can I just do my eye makeup and call it good? Honestly, that's yeah. 100%. Yeah, that's what happens. Because the rest of it's going to come off in my mask anyhow. So what's the point? And then it right. gets worse under there too. If right, right. Kim, thank you so much for joining us today. It was so, so fun to have you. It was great to see you ladies. Thanks for the honor of being here. I hope my wisdom or my (laughs) unfortunate events that led me down a great road (laughs) can help somebody else. Yes, I think it will. So thanks again. You're welcome. Great to see you both. Thank you for listening to another episode of PTPOV. Like and subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. As usual, let us know your feedback on Instagram. See you next time.